Hello, creeps. I'll be your ghost. I mean host. As we delve the crypts of spooky movies and even spookier theory. Welcome to Horror Vanguard. Let's get Skinnamarinked. Skinnamarinky-dinked. Have you, have you ever looked around your house, Ash, and thought to yourself, there are way too many windows, doors, and toilets in this building? And, you know, you could <laughs> remove them manually, but there's got to be a better way. <laughs> you know, when, when, I, when I was, every, everyone was like, oh my god, in the Skinnamarink house, there's no windows, doors, or bathrooms. And I'm like, so you're renting in any major yeah, city I, in America I was, I was or the like, UK? Oh, yeah, I lived there when I was 22. It's fine. <laughs> I, too, have rented a studio apartment. <laughs> what, what, you mean you're telling me that they didn't have to pay £750 a month for this privilege? Come on. <laughs> oh, make, make sure to tip your landlords. Otherwise, you get skinnamarinked. That's, that's the lesson today. I'm kidding. Don't get, give your landlords a tip. Here's a tip. Get a real job. <laughs> Uh, I'm sorry, but if 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 landlords went to school, they they would have a real job. If you know, all landlords should get off their ass and go become an electrician. You know, right? Or an electrician, a performance artist, yep, an experimental painter, absolutely. a real job. Absolutely. Uh, clearly, far too many people have been allowed to go and do business studies and should be Ugh. and should be told that they really need to be doing like employable degrees, like experimental cinematography or performance art. Or um, you know, creative writing, and maybe the, there would be fewer mm-hmm. fewer landlords who are not gainfully employed and don't have anything to do with themselves. And people who are right now, while they're listening to this episode, outlining their next Sonic the Hedgehog Mpreg fiction, are doing more for society than every landlord who has ever lived. I, inarguably true. Inarguably <laughs> true. John, do you want to know who else has done more for society uh, than any landlord who's ever lived? Kyle Edward Ball, the creator of Skinnamarinked. The uh, tangent I am ending to begin discussing the episode. There we go. We, we found, we dug our way out of the tangent that we had steered ourselves into. We're talking about Skinnamarink this week. Uh, hello, I'm John. I am joined as ever by my friend and yours, uh, the spookiest voice in the HV crypt. Ash, how are you doing? Um, I'm doing really good, covered in lots of strange bug bites. I've literally been a, in, a, in a swamp for the last two weeks about. So, you know, I'm, I've am i never, you know, my doctor told me to go get take take some fresh air by a large body of water, and I chose an acidic swampscape. I mean, I genuinely didn't know if you were going to come back. <laughs> I... I, I <laughs> I didn't. I didn't know. I just thought that you might just message me and just be like, "I I belong to the fans now." <laughs> um, but we are talking about something that has been much requested, has been much. De- I could even say demanded by listeners. People wa- really want to know what we think and what we have to say about Skinnamarink. Um, so we are in the HV crypt. All of the doors and windows have been removed. We are in. <laughs> The podcasting hellscape, and it falls to me as ever to ask my co-host to explain to me, to you, to everybody else listening, what Skinnamarink is about. He did see something that night. I've been struggling to grapple with what feels like a disconnect I have with popular nostalgia. 
Nostalgia, classically, is a pained yearning to return to a home that one can no longer return to. The consequence of a happy memory is that we must live with it as an echo that has decreasing fidelity. A happiness we can't have, a joy we can no longer experience. I will never again get to be an elementary school student playing Final Fantasy on a snow day. Nothing can return, recreate, or approximate th that joy. And so, for it, I have become nostalgic. I could imagine a hell wherein some venture capital group creates a startup called Snow Day. It would allow adults to book time in a room that emulates childhood snow days, complete with nostalgic foods, games, and the synthetic experience of being a child. I would take such a creation as a base insult to the human condition, to which the only proper response would be a tall and proud embracing of Luddite political theory. Every attempt I've made to recreate the steps of my nostalgia has been met with a toxic failure. Not just an inability to recreate the nostalgic event, but a poisoning of the psychic bonds that tie the nostalgic into memory. The contemporary world, the jaded vision of adulthood, capitalism's tendency to extract away all that could last, it all acts to reinforce the core lessons of nostalgia. I keep seeing these short-form videos that say something to the effect of, the best part of being 30 is now that I make adult money, I can buy all the toys I couldn't have as a child. I can see the shape of a left appraisal of that urge, that use of play as a direct refusal of neoliberal productivity culture. I too would much rather be at play than at work. Yet, when I see piles of vinyl action figures on display, I don't see play, I see idolatry in the name of capital. I see a shrine to petrochemical manufacturing and Vietnamese child sweatshop labor. I know I've felt the boss's yoke for so long, and there are so many ways in which I've forgotten its presence. But I won't have tooth and claw squandered on the plasticine regurgitation of my own memories. Petrochemicals burn the earth, our bodies, and the psychohistoric bonds we share. Each encounter with a false nostalgia singes the edges of a true memory and reduces the collective identity of the self to nothing more than a Transformers marketing campaign. There's no way out, only through. So where does this leave the late capitalistic necro-nostalgia? I recently bought a copy of I Spy Spooky Nights. The photographer behind the I Spy books, Walter Wick, has been a source of inspiration of mine since I first encountered these puzzle books. I didn't seek out this for the sake of my own nostalgia, but to direct a future one. I'm now a photographer in my own right, though my subjects are much different than Wick's. I've been feeling that there's something I can learn from the playfulness and precision of his compositions. The Ashley Darrow of 2023 is communing with the Ashley Darrow of 1994. I'm not seeking to recreate those hazy memories of sitting in a children's section of a cold rural library, poring over I spy books looking for clues, but rather hoping to generate something new from something foolish. I would never disrespect my own history by being sold some funkified Xerox of my own memories, but I would traverse the fading lands of nostalgia to see what is to be seen before time and tide take us all under. Capitalism wants us forever recycling our nostalgia, becoming passive units of exchange rather than agential actors directing the flow of coming nostalgic moments. In the years to come, I do not wish to be awash in the bought and sold signifiers of childhood memories. I would hope that I have lived such a life that the ash of the future will have cultivated new sets of nostalgias that they can, in turn, till like a rich soil. Nostalgia. We can never go home, but together there is no telling where we can go.
Do you hear that? My vintage Fisher-Price Chatter Pull Toy telephone is ringing. It's your invitation to join us as we discuss Skinamarine. I hope to heaven you're right. Yes, yes indeed. Yes indeed. Then let us open our eyes in the half-light of night and look onto the landing from the bedroom into the murk and gloom of the formalism zone. Zone, zone, zone. The relationship between our own, the structuring forces of our own unconscious response to the dream world and the cultural mm-hmm. environment in which we exist is a kind of dialectical process. So... <laughs> well like i guess the point that i'm getting at is like the logic of this is is a it's it's kind of a dream right it's based on a nightmare that people have had right you wake up in a house and nobody's there um but nightmares are not they're not kind of pre-social forms they come from and attain coherence within a kind of cultural and social totality so, I, and I, I do kind of agree with you, but I think the, the point I would make is like, you, you, you said that it puts it in the kind of genre, but like our dreams happen in genres too, right? That's how mm-hmm. enmeshed we are with cinema. And we have been for a hundred years. I think that, I think that is such, such a good point to kind of like look at the, because it's not it's it's not what what is a haunting if not something that is fundamentally bound to filmic technologies right so for for about 150 years now there there has been no such thing as a ghost that doesn't at at some way float its fantastic form back to the filmic right like everybody forgets that abraham lincoln's wife has ghost photos of her with ghost abraham lincoln like this this hasn't this has never been a niche phenomena happening in some kind of occultic subterranean condition. This has been like some of the most popular stuff ever on both sides of the Atlantic Ocean. And the reason that I bring it up is because I think the film, which is so so obviously bound up in childhood and memory, like one of the big structuring forces on your memory if you grew up in like the late 80s and 90s is media, right? Is a kind of cinema. It, it's it's children's cartoons it's home videos mm-hmm. that your dad shot on the very first camcorder you ever picked up right your memory itself and thus our our kind of unconscious gets structured into film we hope you've enjoyed the dread discourse until next week stay spooky